All right, before I get to my next guest, Bob Grissett, I want to give a shout out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now next on the tee with me is not only one of the top instructors in the game, but a guy who probably knows more about the technical parts of the golf swing than anybody on the planet, and that's Bob Grissett. Bob played his college golf at the University of Miami. He's been named by Golf Digest as one of the top instructors in the state of Florida. He is the former director of instruction at the club at Morningside in Rancho Mirage, California, now resides down there in South Florida. He's written a couple of wonderful books, 10 Lessons, the True Fundamentals of the Golf Swing, and 10 Keys, the Basic Elements of the Golf Swing. Bob is a wonderful human being on top of all of that, and I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I hope you have a fielding shirt on. <laughs> I've actually got my, my old course shirt on tonight in honor of the Open Championship this past week. But, uh, you know, if I was going to have a sports team shirt on tonight, Bob, I would have had my Red Sox shirt on for in honor of TP with him and his uh, stinky Yankees. So I would have had that, but uh, I chose for the uh, the old course shirt. He, w- he wouldn't have even been able to utter a word. <laughs> yeah, they took us two out of three this past week, and I got to give them a little bit, but yeah, not much. So, uh, but uh, anyway, how, how are? It's been a minute, Bob. How are you? I'm doing okay, Chris. Uh, you know, just 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 chugging along, trying to get people worse. <laughs> <laughs> Which is definitely not not the case. But like I said in your intro, Bob. And, and, and TP, by the way, sends, uh, sends his, uh, regards. We talked about you at the beginning of the show, uh, during the first segment. Um, but, um, you know more about the, the golf swing than I think anybody on the planet does. And you d- dissect it better than anybody. You frame it up better than anybody. Talk about how you became so entrenched in every aspect of the golf swing. Uh, through the years. Uh, in trying to become um, through a lot of teachers, um, it would be a who's who list, you know, from um, Ledbetter to the to the uh, first authorized golfing machine instructor Ben Doyle. Of course, my uh, first teacher was Johnny Revolta. Um, then I had 
Mr. Toski for four years when I was uh, going through college. So it's been quite an adventure, and uh, it's always been a continual study. I have a huge library of the gospel, and I've studied, you know, the history. Um, I mean, there's so many interesting facts, like Alex Morrison uh, taught Henry Picard. Henry Picard was one of the few guys who worked with uh, Pope Christine. Morrison also taught Grout. Grout taught Nicholas. So, you know, it's been kind of a love affair studying the the history of the game, the evolution of the golf swing, uh, what's changed, what hasn't changed. Um, and that I never stop learning. I think that's the key to, you know, any advice I give any would always be to uh, continue learning, you know, as they go along. Um, so that's sort of been my, my love, love affair. And Bob, you mentioned Jack Rout a moment ago, and, and I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan. And, and uh, I know you got to uh, you know, spend some time with Jack Grout, and you, you mentioned that he uh, he was he was Nicholas's instructor. What what are some of the principles that uh, that you saw that uh, Jack Grout was able to instill into Jack Nicholas? That maybe you know I, I think we we get so wrapped up in in the now and 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 players today, we don't give enough credit to the history and like you mentioned studying the guys from way back when and the, and the Hogan's and the Nicholas's and all that sort of stuff. But what is something you gleaned from Jack Grout that, uh, that he got into Jack Nicholas that we should probably adopt into ours, whether it's our golf swing or our thought process? Yeah. When I worked with Jack, he was at LaCourse country club in Miami, uh, which is where he wintered. And then of course he was in, uh, in Ohio during the summertime. You know, I think, I think, the um, uh, the main thing that Grout taught Nicholas, and, you know, this would be attributed a lot to, to Alex Morrison, was the most important thing is stable hub. I don't think there's any time that Nicholas has talked about the golf swing where he didn't emphasize the importance of that. The other thing that he did, uh, worked on a lot was Nicholas's footwork, um, where he would get him to, to, roll his left ankle on the back swing and roll his right ankle on the forward swing. So kind of, kind of upstairs, downstairs. Um, uh, I have, I have some, some nice photos. As you know, I have a pretty huge library photos and videos. I have some nice photos of, of Mr. Grout behind, uh, Jack, uh, photos of, of, of Mr. Grout holding Jack's hair, not to keep his head back to keep it stable because one of the things that he encouraged Jack to do was to allow his head to rotate. So before Nicholas took the club back, uh, one of the things that he developed in his routine, um, in, in, you know, once he would get set up to the ball, he would waggle three times. And then just before he started the takeaway, he would turn his chin to the right and at the same time squeeze his elbows together uh, to get his arms closer together. Um so, he, so that was a, a big thing that he encouraged, a stable hub, but allow the head to rotate a little to the right on the backswing. And I think one of the biggest tips I could give amateur golfers out there would be to allow the head to rotate on the forward swing. You know, I think I think the head down age uh, has ruined more players than any single thing that I can think of. Um, not allowing the neck and the head and the eyes to rotate on the forward swing. Uh, like throwing a ball, if you were going to throw a ball sidearm in a submarine, 
you you certainly would release your head. You wouldn't hold it down. Uh, I think I think you know people attribute popping ball to lifting the head, and you know I I feel like the vast majority of people who top the ball are are bending their limbs or pulling their elbows apart, bending their arms, and part of that is because they hold their head down, their right side can't move forward. So I would say the main things that he did with Nicholas was the footwork and a, a stable hub. Let's take that a, a step uh, further because. To your point, and, and I heard this throughout my golf life, keep your head down and still, right? And to your, to your other point about topping the ball, that's what we all say. Yeah, move your head, right? You top the ball. But that's not necessarily the case from what I just heard you say. Talk about the difference between keeping your head down and that's no good to how you want to rotate it by not coming off the ball and then topping it. How do we not do that? Yeah. So. You know, there are a couple things in that question. I mean, I, first of all, uh, you know, I would say virtually nobody has ever topped a golf ball because they lifted their head. I mean, the head is an appendage that's attached to your shoulders. And, you know, it's possible that people can early extend on the downswing or stand up and the head would rise, but you could tilt your head downward and, it, and you would still, if you rose, you would still rise. I mean, there's nothing that's going to change that. The head isn't going to change that one iota. Um, but, but bending the arms is, is a very typical. I had a lady come to me many, many years ago. You know, she was insistent at that time I had two ways of teaching. Uh, I taught with an eight track Sony cam, uh, which was a, a certain price for that lesson, or I would give a lesson without a, a camera, which many people availed of because it was cheaper. So that's what she did. And, you know, during the lesson, she had, she just had rolled about 20 in a row. Uh, and, you know, and Sith and I was filming, which is what I typically did. And at that time, using an eight track Sony, which is, uh, as big as a car, <laughs> um, we didn't have the, um, the, uh, analysis software that we had today. So what I had to use was I had to, I had to plug the eight track into, to an, to an eight track player on a TV. And then I had a book of pictures that I would make comparisons. But, in her particular case, her head would drop 12 inches on the downswing, but her arms would, and obviously if you have an inch deficit there, you're going to hit the ball or the top of the ball. So she would top every single ball. Um, the other reason people top typically is they're trying to lift it up in the air. So then what happens is they stay on their back foot and they kind of flip their wrists. Um, and the club will though, you generally hit fast and thins and, you know, a lot of times they'll top it from there. Uh, the best drill uh, that I use to help people um, learn to rotate their head and yet keep it the same height. Now, keeping it the same height isn't the same as keeping your head down. Another favorite is keep your eye on the ball. Well, you know, one of the one guy that I worked with for many years had won national blind championship uh, 15 times, and I certainly never told him to keep his eye on the ball. Um, the ball is a stationary object, which is different than other sports. You play baseball, you don't really, you know, the pitch could be a lot of different spots, but the golf, golf ball is sitting on the ground. So the, the, my favorite drill, I think, that would help most people is a head-on-the-wall drill where you take the crown of your head and you put it against the wall. You can't use a club with this, but you make back swings, down swings, and forward swings. And that will not only keep you stable, but it'll also keep the same height. 
Um, but you got to allow your head to turn a little bit to the right on the back and turn completely through on the left uh, as you go forward. As I said, throwing a ball, you couldn't throw a ball sidearm if you didn't release your head. So a lot of the a lot of the chicken wing is created. I you know I say people tell them that basically they run out of right arm, and the reason they run out of right arm, right shoulder can't go forward because the head's down. So uh, head on the wall, allow the head to rotate, uh, would be a really key thing for the vast majority of players to work on. Bob, I want to get your thoughts on Colin Morikawa's swing, in particular his backswing. It's slow, very deliberate, and then he explodes through the ball. Kind of very similar to what I, I, I believe Hideki Matsuyama does as well. Is that something that average golfers like myself should do as well? Should we adopt that kind of slow, deliberate backswing and then explode through the ball? Um, can that help us keep it, you know, keep the plane, keep, keep ourselves on plane, keep the swing in the right path and keep the, the face square at, a, at, uh, at contact? Chris could. I mean, it, you know, I wouldn't. I would say it would be something I would absolutely advocate for everyone. You know, I think you have to swing a golf club at a speed that you can coordinate. Um, you know, he, he's a. First of all, I mean, this kid is uh, the greatest thing that occurred golf, in my opinion, in a long, long time. Uh, his parents, his college coach Rick Sessinghouse, his his swing coach have done an amazing job making this kid. I mean, he's at presentation ceremonies. He's just won, a, uh, won the Open Championship. And the first thing he says when they hand him the microphone is he spends three or four minutes congratulating the amateur golfer uh, who had finished the tournament. And that was just, I mean, everything that comes out of this kid's mouth is unbelievable. That's sad. Um, uh, best, uh, best ball striker on the tour. Uh, to show that uh, going into this tournament, he ranked first in that category, shots gained. Uh, he ranked 170th in putting, so he had a really good week putting. Uh, I mean, yesterday was uh, he putted incredible. I mean, he made everything. Uh, but it's kind of a unique swing. He's got a he's got a relatively weak left hand grip. Um, uh, Kind of a neutral to slightly strong right hand grip, uh, and then as he takes the club back, he, he he increases the flexion in his left wrist, which you're kind of seeing the commonality with a lot of the younger players today. You see it from Victor Hovland, you see it from John Rahm, of course Dustin Johnson, um, and there are many reasons why that's a good thing. But what's interesting is as he gets to the top of this swing, he'll actually increase the flexion in his left wrist as he starts down. And what that does is it closes the club face slightly to the arc of the swing, which allows him to be able to rotate pretty freely through impact with, and get a free release without having to, to get a lot of crossover in his hand, which creates a tremendous amount of timing. I, I really believe that if the if the public out there were to get a flat or slightly flexed, which just means slightly bowed left wrist at the top of their back swings, we could eliminate slicing. Because, because most players, the average player, take away, they'll roll it open, then to get, then get the shaft more vertical, they'll cup his left wrist, extend it at the top, 
which gets the face more open. Then he'll start down speed, sensing that. He'll tilt way to the right. Then after he tilts to the right, um, uh, he's doing that to try to shallow the clump somewhat so it doesn't come in so steep. And then that's going to create early extension, which is the pelvis moving towards the ball. And then he's going to get hip stall. As soon as he gets hip stall, he's going to have a hard time consistently match, matching club face to the golf ball. He's going to miss left. He's going to miss right. And he's going to have days that he hits it straight. Uh, and I think the, the confusing part is that people think that they're swinging better on, on days that they hit it better or on shots they hit it better. And all they've really done is, is they've timed a, a, a complete mess in terms of a swing. So I think I think that you know that your original question was uh, more to do with his, his slowish takeaway, uh, and and there isn't anything wrong with that. Although that isn't the reason he's good. Uh, the reason he's good is because uh, uh, of the of the other positions he gets in his golf swing. And Bob, you talked earlier about uh, all the things you post out on Instagram and. You recently posted something that Morikawa said, which is, you would be surprised how many bogeys are made by a flawed thought process. Talk about that, and how can we do a better job of making good decisions on the golf course so we don't compound a you know, one bad shot into another bad shot, which it leads to a bad round? The quick answer would be, and I'm going to make a plug for someone, quick answer would be everybody should sign up for decade, decade golf. Uh, Scott Fawcett has done an amazing job. I don't know if you've had Scott on your show, but if you haven't, you should try to get him on. He's done an amazing job of teaching people how to play golf um, because most people that go on the golf course have no clue. Um, you know, they, they nothing is mapped out in their mind. So when Colin is playing, what he's doing is, um, mapping out the best angles that he can create to hit his tee shot and hit it into the green. Uh, now, obviously, you have to have some sort of an ability to hit the golf ball, uh, but I still think that, you know, when I've, when I've given playing lessons to people, um, the thought processes, um, the way they chip and pitch the ball, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. So uh, I, I think a lot of people uh, w- would do would do a lot better, uh, and I think golf pros should be giving more playing lessons on the golf course and watch their thinking, thinking, and teach them how to be able to save shots. Uh, but Decade Golf does a remarkable job of of um, exploiting that or telling people. You know, a simple example would you have a par five, um, and you have water down the left side. Um, you have your fairway, and then over on the right side is is a few trees. You know, so the question would be, where should you aim? Well, the one place you don't want to hit it is the water. So the aiming isn't necessarily try to hit it in the center of the fairway. The aiming there might be to hit it over to the right. Even if you hit it in the tree somewhat, you can still make a five. But if you hit it in the water, you can't make a five. I mean, it's just simple things like that. And 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 I, I will tell you that that Mr. Morikawa is a firm user and believer in decade golf. Bob, one of the other things 
that uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on is how do we recover when we might have hit it into the trees or we, uh, we're we avoiding something and maybe it ends up in the rough, that sort of thing. Um, because we don't ha- really have the opportunity. The average golfer doesn't have an opportunity to take a shag bag or go hit 20 or 30 balls out of deep rough to understand how to hit it and how to get it out. We don't, we don't get to practice going into the trees and trying to figure out how can we hit a low shot to punch it out of the trees and get it back into play. I mean, those are, those are things that we don't get an opportunity to practice because we're not, you go to the average guy, you know, driving range, you can't practice that shot anywhere. How, how do we get better at recovery shots when we don't really have that much of an opportunity to practice them? You know, interesting, Chris, I, I would say that the vast majority of tour players, they're on the golf course, um, and you see them hit a great shot out of a certain area, it's probably never been practiced. I mean, I mean, they're not going out in rocks and practicing, woods and practicing. You know, what they've learned to do is they've learned to be able to control a golf ball so they can curve it in both directions. And they can hit the ball on different, different trajectories. And they can control that. Um, you know, DJ in short game, you know, works on three or four different trajectories going into the green, depending on that. But the answer to your question is you, you can't be afraid of making bogey because try to hit a hero shot, you're going to take a double or triple. And, and the thing that kills anyone in scoring is three putts and penalty strokes. You know, you just get, and, and I would add into that double bogeys and triple bogeys. And you would be shocked and surprised how many times you hit a ball, uh, you're in, you're in the trees and you hit the ball out into the fairway, uh, and then you knock, you hit an iron out of the green and make a putt for a par. I mean, it's going to happen. Not every time, but it's certainly going to happen more often. The, the point is the percentages, uh, and your total scores will go down, that type of thing. And that gets back to decade golf again. Now, what the tour players do rehearse, I believe the basis of a golf swing is a punch shot. I, I think that, that, that that first thing that I'm teaching people to do, um, I'm teaching them to have break finishes and a punch shot because they're going to press the ball. They're going to hit it solid. They're going to control the low point of the swing, which is the most important thing, uh, that's going to produce a more compressed shot and a more consistent hit. Uh, you know, so I, I, I spend my days um, getting people to uh, finish chest high. I mean, the interesting thing about this is that arguably Tiger may have played his best golf hitting stingers, and stingers are punch shots. Um, and he, he's sort of got away from that a little bit, but over the past, you know, in his comeback the past couple of years, he started hitting a lot of singers again. And, you know, I pray, I pray to God every day that we can see him play again. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, so in answer to your question, you know, I think, I think not trying to hit the hero shot, uh, not trying to hit a shot you're not capable of because again, I, my, the shots that Colin hit on a couple of the greens that he missed yesterday, he hasn't practiced those shots. I mean, he's practiced a flop shot, um, so he knows how to do that. But, 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 you know, the circumstance that he may be under, where how much green he has to work with, where he has to land the ball, 
you know, that's native talent. He's got the ability to be able to hit that flock shot and be able to judge the distance and the various lives that he may get into. Um, you know, I, I suppose that he was over there and under the circumstance. In fact, I, I, I don't suppose I saw him do it. I mean, there was times there where he was putting the ball in deeper areas. He did a lot of short game practice, it seemed, and he was putting the ball in higher grass to just see how we react. That that you can do. I mean, most amateurs can do that. But most amateurs, uh, you know, we can quote my our friend, Mr. Patry, that most amateurs never practice short game, short game, short game. You know, Tom is, right. Tom is pretty – I'm sure he ended the show today with those three words, right? <laughs> he didn't end this show, but, you know, he has certainly pounded that into my brain over the years that uh, TP has been coming on. So you're absolutely right. That is something that uh, we should be doing more of, and Tom is right by, by pounding that in my head because, as uh, Gary Player has said uh, throughout the years, right, the majority of the game is played from 100 yards in. So that's the opportunity to save strokes if we can get uh, if we can get up and down. If we can, from 100 yards in, if we get in the hole in two instead of three or four, we have an opportunity to lower our scores a bunch. I want to talk about the mental side of the game for a moment because another place that we tend to go wrong is we get down on ourselves when we've had a bad shot and we carry that into the next shot, maybe into the next couple of holes until we calm down. I know Mr. Hogan used to always say the most important shot in golf is the next one. And Dustin Johnson likes to talk about, you know, I hit I hit a shot and wherever it lands, I go find it and, and then I hit the next shot. So you, you got to learn to to leave the last shot in the past. And a lot of us aren't good at that. How do we become good at it? Well, I will start with the, the first thing you shouldn't do is when you get on a par three that's 174 yards over water that you reach in your bag and you pull out an old ball. That's the first place I started. I wouldn't do that because immediately <laughs> you're in the water, right? And then you, you, that's going to be self-fulfilling. So, you know, I think, I think being able to, um, you know, one of the things you can do on the practice range, which, which, um, Hogan used to do this when, uh, if he was playing in a particular tournament, he would actually play 18 holes on the range. And, you know, what he would do is he would go through, uh, you know, the first hole, hit the piece shot, hit the seven iron in the green, he then, then hit a seven iron. But I think in, when people practice, there's too much beating balls to the same distances. You know, I, I, when I have, uh, when I work with my turf players and we're using either a foresight or a, or a, uh, uh, a track man, you know, that's one of the things we do is, is we'll go throughout almost a whole day where we're just calling different distances out for each shot because that's what you encounter on the golf course. So I would encourage people when they practice, you know, stagger what they're doing, you know, hit a, hit a 40 yard wedge shot. They hit a center and then hit a driver and then go back and hit a 20 yard shot. I think that's the way that you should practice because that's what's going to happen on the golf course. You're not, you're not hitting seven irons 160 yards each time, whatever distance you hit it. Uh, and I think, I think that in terms of the mind, um, uh, this is a hard thing for people, but, but you're a human being in a missed golf shot. Hogan also said, um, golf is not a, uh, golf is not a game of 
perfect. It's a game of great misses or good misses. And, and that's what's going to happen around the golf course. You're going to miss if you can't beat yourself up about that. Now, you should have some sort of an idea. I, I, I think that if a person has been trained correctly by a professional, a good coach, he should have some idea of when he hits the best, not why he hit it. And that should help him immediately uh, have the confidence that he can immediately hit a good shot. But it's very important to visualize good shots and not beat yourself up. I mean, that's the worst possible thing you can do. I don't care what, talk to anybody in any sport. You know, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali was asked one time about, uh, one of the reporters said, you know, told him that he was arrogant. And he said, he said, no, but I'm definitely convinced. <laughs> That's a great line. Bob, before I let you go, let our listeners know how they can get a copy of your book and then stay up to date with what you're doing on your website and on social media as well. Okay. I have two books. I have 10 keys, uh, basic elements of the golf swing, which is really geared towards an average player. And then I have 10 lessons through fundamentals of the golf swing, which is geared towards techies and better players. That's a 730-page book. It's a, it's a lifelong uh, dream to write such a book. But, uh, uh, that's available on my website, which, which is uh, Bob Grissom Golf. And, and it's, it's spelled B-O-B-G-R-I, double S and Sam. E-T-T is in Tom, golf.com. Both books are available there. I highly suggest the PDF format versus the printed format. The big book uh, is uh, eight and a half by 11 and weighs eight pounds. So, uh, you know, you can, you can get the PDF and throw it in an iPad. It's terrific. That's how I use it. Um, that's my website, my my uh, lesson rates are on there. My online programs are also on the same site. Uh, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. But but I would say I do most of my posting on Instagram, and then Instagram is just at Bob Grissom. Um, and would love to have comedy. Uh, you know, where there's there's uh, there's an awful lot of uh, good material that I try to furnish as often as I can. Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Um, I have TP to thank for introducing us. You're you're a wonderful person, first of all. Uh, you've been a great supporter of this show, and I can't thank you enough for that. And then uh, to come back and share more of uh, your insights and uh, your playing lessons, uh, it means a great deal to me, and I know it means a great deal to our listeners. So thank you very much for coming back tonight. You're fantastic, my friend. Uh, it's my pleasure, Chris, anytime. And, and you're, you're a great interview. You ask great questions and, and, you know, every golfer out there just continue to watch or continue to listen to this podcast because Chris is, Chris is the bomb. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that, Bob. I think you're the bomb as well, my friend. Thank you so much for your time tonight. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Anytime, Chris. Have a great evening. You too, Bob. That's the big, uh, Bob Grissett. Again, G-R-I-S-S-E-T-T is the spelling of his last name, and he's a fantastic follow on Instagram, folks. I can't tell you enough about the great content that he puts out all the time, and he breaks down the swings, 
in a way that helps us understand how to execute like the pros do. And um, his, uh, his 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 uh, Instagram page is absolutely outstanding. His uh, his website is great as well. And uh, just like PP, if you're looking, you're not in the South Florida area, and that's what and that's where Bob's home is. He's down in South Florida. If you're not anywhere near that, but you say, you know what, this guy is as fantastic as advertised. And I again, I tell you, nobody knows more about the technical aspects of the golf swing than Bob does. You want to get lessons from somebody that can break it down for you and help you fix your golf swing, then you got to go online and, and get a lesson from him. He's, uh, as you heard, he's just a wonderful human being, first and foremost. And then he's a great, uh, a great instructor as well. So hopefully we get the opportunity to get Bob back on the show again soon. And I certainly hope you'll take advantage and, and follow him on Instagram and then get a lesson from him uh, over video as well. He's fantastic. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, I want to let you know that tickets are on sale now for the Tour Championship here in Atlanta at Eastlake Golf Club. The tournament's going to be held September 2nd through the 5th. Eastlake is one of the most prestigious and beautiful golf clubs in the country. If you've never been to the tournament, you're going to be wowed by the course, the amenities, and how well you're treated there. Go online to tourchampionship.com to get your tickets to watch the top 30 players on tour this season decide who will be the FedEx Cup champion, and who walks away with the $15 million first place check. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out again to Tom Patrick, Jay Revel, and Bob Grissett for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are... Tom Patrick, he's going to be right back with me next week. Typically, it's every other week with TP, but he's right back with me because right behind him, I'm going to get a return visit from one of the other top instructors on the planet, and that is Bob Ford. Bob is a guy who is the director of instruction for many years at Oakmont and now down at Seminole. So you want to talk about two of the best golf courses on the planet, and he was the director of instruction at both of them. Really looking forward to having Bob back on the show. Chris Kosky is also going to make a long overdue return to the show. Chris is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Adele Golf, so looking forward to catching up with him. And then we'll round out the show with a visit from David Purcell. David is the owner of Purcell Farms, which is a fabulous resort over in Alabama. Looking forward to learning all about that place. So it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with me. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great podcasting sites and apps like Podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Player.fm. If you have a favorite podcasting site, we're probably on it. Just check us out in the uh, search bar. Go up in there and type next on the T. We're probably in there for you. And folks, if you enjoy the show, please do me a favor and go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for the show in their Hot 50 list. When you go to podcastmagazine.com, you'll see Hot 50 right there at the top of the page. Just click on that. You'll get a drop-down menu. You'll see Hot 50 Voting. Click on that, and then just type in the name of the show next on the T and my name in the host section, Chris Mascaro. I really appreciate your support, folks. You got us into the top 20 last month. We're actually at number 16. Goal is now to get inside the top 10. So if you have an opportunity, you can vote up to once a day. So as often as you see fit, please go in there and vote for the show. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.